This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is appropriate for Mother's Day. Anyway, I call this message Mom Stuff. And I, 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 I grew up in suburban Cleveland in a church I went to all my young life. Had this tradition, they had their children's Christmas program on Christmas Eve. And there was one service at 7 o'clock, and you had to get there at 5.30 seriously to get a seat because the place was jammed for that kids' program on Christmas Eve. And every child had a part to say, and my mom went over my small piece with me every day for about three weeks. And then came the day, Christmas Eve, and the whole Sunday school class lined up in front of the church, and each child would step forward and say their part, all from Luke 2, and there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and then it was my turn, and I had the verse about Jesus' birth, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So it came to my turn to step out and say my piece, and I absolutely froze. I just absolutely froze. Nothing came out of my mouth. I remember I was eight or nine years old, and our Sunday school superintendent was a guy named Norman Sano, and he was a very intimidating-looking guy. He was a nice man, but he didn't look nice, see? And he's there right in front, man, right in the front row saying, come on, come on, come on. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and I'd try to mumble it out and repeat it. And what he was saying is, he says, come on, you idiot. We practice this every Saturday for the last month. You're embarrassing us. The spotlight was on me. And when it was all done, and I, I, I didn't say my piece, tears rolled down my face, and I got home, and I expected to really get it good from my mom. But my mom sat me in a chair. She took me, she put me on her lap, and I was crying. And she hugged me and kissed me and told me how much she loved me. And then I said my Bible passage in front of the Christmas tree, and my older brother and my mom and my dad were all there, and I said my passage, and they all applauded, and they never said another word about me not saying it, and we opened our gifts and had a great Christmas Eve, and that was very special. Now, the reason I say this is out of all the moments I remember with my mom, that one stands out. Well, anyway, I call this this message mom stuff, and I know we have single people here, and I know we have people who don't have children. I want to talk about some biblical principles that apply to moms and family, but then I want to apply these principles across the board to all of us. And so we begin in 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2, in verses 14 and 15, and the Word of God says this, for Adam was formed first, this is verse 13, and then Eve. And Adam, well, listen, listen to this, Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now listen, women will be saved through childbearing. 
if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. Now, that's a very tough passage. What does it mean that woman will be saved through, through childbearing? And we have to go back to Genesis 3 to understand this because like the word of God said, Eve was the first one to sin, not Adam. And she ate the forbidden fruit, then she gave it to her husband. But the moment she ate the forbidden fruit, she sinned against God. And at that point, her whole nature changed. Sin came into the world. And sin was now, would now be passed on to every human being. And we call that original sin or inherited sin. And original sin is why we tell ourselves, my needs aren't being met. And we get all bent out of shape about that before we look at other people's needs. Original sin is why money can become all-consuming to a lot of people and idle to people. Original sin is why we turn on Oprah when we know the lies that come through there and how insidious and subtle they are. I mean, that all goes back to original sin. Original sin is a total corruption of our nature, what we call a fallen nature began with the woman. Now, we, t- we call it Adam's sin. The Bible holds Adam responsible because in Genesis 3, 6, it tells us that Adam was with her and he was the God-ordained head of the family and the serpent was talking to the woman, telling her how lovely that fruit looked and how she'd be like God. And what Adam should have done is grabbed her hand and said, hey, baby pie, let's get out of here. Don't listen to that serpent. Well, he didn't call her baby pie, but I mean, it began with the woman. And so we go back to 1 Timothy 2, 14 and 15. That says, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived because he be, be, and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing. Again, how is she saved through childbearing? See, moms, moms by God's design are the primary influence on the children. And Eve messed it up for people. She was the first sinner along with her husband, Adam. And now every human being is born with the will to sin, the capacity and the will to sin. That's original sin. Original sin is that fertile bed, that fertile ground out of which all our actual sins grow. And moms, you can undo, and this is what this word of God is saying, you can undo what the first woman Eve did by building God's principles into your children's hearts and minds so they can be a strong catalyst to lead people to Christ. Because when a person receives Jesus Christ, they change, and they change from the inside out. And when you change one person like that, or, or, or grow one person in Christ, or shape a heart and mind in Jesus Christ and send that person out into the world, man, you have significantly changed. You're part of the world. Do that, and you're doing your part to undo, ladies, moms, what the woman Eve messed up. And that's what it means. She's going, to be, she, she's going to be saved through childbearing. Listen, moms and dads, this is the most important calling in your life. When God gave you children, he gave you a commission to shape their hearts. And I see you wrapping your, just kind of wrapping your hands around their heart and shaping and molding that heart through the word of God to be like Jesus Christ and to conform to the will and the word of God. And when God gives you children, it means your priorities change, where there's choices, and choices could be school something, sports something, church something. Yeah, I mean, your priority is, man, you got to shape those hearts, man, and you got to get, and you are just, you're devoted to that. You're going to get those kids into every Christian context you can to hear and be trained to share the word of God. What you want for your children is, is to be a Hebrews 5, 14 believer. But solid food, and solid food is 
the deep things of God's word is for the mature who by, listen now, who by constant use, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. See, what you want is you want your children to know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, because this culture with this media, with the government taking more and more control of education, with the government wanting to control more and more and more how our kids think, you want them to know from the word of God, good from evil and right from wrong. You want them to know that. And you want them to be secure in what could be a very threatening environment environment for believers in Jesus Christ, secure because they believe God is faithful to every promise he ever made to give them eternal life. And when they have that security, when they have that security, man, they can be bold for Jesus to know that nothing can ever rob them of that. I mean, you want to burn 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 into their hearts. It says this, praise, pr- praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, now listen, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead unto an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. You want that burned into their gut, man, I'll tell you. So they can step out for the Lord. You want Jesus Christ to be their first love. You want to shape their heart in such a way that their desire is to please God before men, to please God before their peers. You want your children to be John, John chapter 1, verse 5, Christians. And this speaks of Christ as the light of the world, but we are all reflections of Christ. It says in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, this dark world will never overcome the light they bring into it. And you want them to be that candle in a dark room that can never be extinguished. That's what you want them to be. I mean, you want them to offer hope to fearful, aimless, hopeless people, and that's the kind of a world we have. You want the light they exude to be a, to be a draw that, that, that draws people to them. You want them to know they can be joyful in any circumstance. You want to get them to a point where any sacrifice they make for Jesus Christ is worth it because Jesus Christ is worth it. He's their treasure. That is your highest calling. Now listen, I know that some of you moms and dads have come to Christ after you raised your kids. And raising your kids with biblical priorities wasn't your priority when you were raising your kids. And now it is. But I want to tell you, you still have influence. And I look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, Jesus says to his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then all the earth, concentric circles. And where is Jerusalem? See, that's home. That's right where you live. What Jesus Christ is saying is, he's saying, man, your witness begins in your home. It begins with your family. It begins in your Jerusalem. It begins right where you live. And some of you people are witnessing to people at work and people in other areas and venues of your life. And that's okay. That's great. But um, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say, if you haven't witnessed to your unsaved people in your house, then put all that other stuff on hold and you start to to get on your face before God in earnest prayer and pray for those unsaved people in your family and tell them what drives you. I mean, you got to say it. Sooner or later, you got to say it. I mean, you can pray for it and pray for it and God will open those hearts and he'll prepare those hearts and he's going to say, now, 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 now you say it. And you're going to have to tell them, tell them what drives you. 
approach it from a positive spin. Tell him what, what gives you comfort and peace and hope in this world. Hold it out to a man, stuff that the world can't offer you. Get him into a Christian environment and give him Jesus Christ. But it begins in Jerusalem. It begins in your home. Mom stuff, family stuff. Let's look at another principle here, very appropriate for Mother's Day. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7 reads like this. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, as I look at that in the original language, be considerate is kind of a, a general translation. The King James gives me the best translation of the original Greek here. It reads, husbands, live with your wives according to gnosis is the word, which means knowledge or understanding. Okay, so let's translate it that way from the King James today, okay? 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives according to understanding. Now, God said that. And here's what that means. That you have to live with your wife according to understanding. You got to think about her. You got to think about your wife, guys. You got to think about your mom. What do you do when your mind has free time? Do you ever daydream? What do you daydream about? Where do you allow your mind to go? What do you deliberately, I might say, fill your thoughts with, okay? And this is primarily for guys. Now, hear me, guys. We need to think less about all that other stuff and more about our wives. To think about them, to live with them according to understanding, we've got to think about her routines and what excites her and what she enjoys and what she likes and what she doesn't like and what she's good at, what her special gifts are, where she's weak and needs help. I need to think about my wife, about her schedule, her pressure so I can make her life easier. I need to think about her and dwell on her so I can live with her according to understanding as God's word tells me. Again, I need to think about her and so do you guys and dwell on her in everything I can about her so that I can live with her according to understanding. I and you need to get into their lives, and this works both ways. Wives, you got to do that about your husbands too. And you bring every detail of their life before the Lord in prayer. Guys, you should spend more time praying for your wives and wives. You should spend more time praying for your husband than for anything else. They can do for any other person. Now, what do you pray for? you got to pray for grace. That's God's divine empowerment for everything in their life, everything that's right in keeping with God's will. You have to pray for, for a joy as they live out their lives. Then you, you, you got to pray for a God consciousness, that they're conscious of God in their lives 24 hours a day, he, that he's always on their minds. I mean, you got to think about her. It's the only way you're going to understand her. And kids, you got to think about your parents too. you got to live with your parents according to understanding. One thing I regret is this. I lived in a different city than my mom and my dad most of my life. And I remember playing golf a couple of times with my dad, and he was no good, and I was no good. And my dad wasn't that touchy-feely kind of a guy where we get into these deep father-son conversations. He wasn't that kind of a guy. But he loved those golf games we played together because we'd get out there and laugh and talk about how bad we were. And I wish I had done more of that, see. But my, my younger brother, Tim, lived with my mom and dad until they died. And he took very good care of them and dealt with all their idiosyncrasies. Because the older we get, the more idiosyncrasies, kids, we have. We want to do things our way. That's what I'm saying. We want to do things our way, see. And we don't change much because our way is the best way. And you can listen, and you kids need to understand that. That's why you've got to live with them. This is the word of God, not me. 
and you have to live with them according to understanding. And that means you have to bend with your moms and dads. You get into their world. That's what I'm saying. You get into their world. You get into their world and you try and understand. See, they weren't raised like you were in an electronic age, okay? And maybe they don't want you to email them. Maybe they don't want that. Maybe they, maybe they want you to sit down and write in longhand a letter and maybe get real schmaltzy in that letter and say, I love you. You understand them. See, that's what God's word says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. So I'll ask, guys, do you think about your wife? Do you really, seriously now, do you really understand the deep parts of her? Do you, listen, you should, you should know her better than any person on earth. Do you? That's the question. Do you really understand the deep parts of her? See, she wants to be known and understood by you. And here's the big deal, too. Do you love her so much that you would sacrifice, and we're going to talk about sacrifice, anything personal? So she's happy, and she's fulfilled. That's what God's word says. Listen, you do that, and it's going to come back to you in lots of ways, but that's not why you do it. You do it because God gave her to you. Would you look at Hebrews? You know, Jesus Christ did this. He, he got into our world to understand this. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, meaning the Father, for whom and through whom everything exists, that he should make the author of their salvation, that's Jesus, the Son of God, let me read this again. And bring many sons to glory. It was fitting that God, meaning the Father, for whom and through whom everything is this, should make the author of their salvation, Jesus, his son, perfect through suffering. And you read that and you say, well, isn't Jesus Christ already perfect? What does it mean that God the Father has to make his son perfect through suffering? Well, the word perfect here means complete. Of course, Jesus Christ never sinned. But when he lived in this world, he became complete. And folks, all that means is this. We don't have a God who stayed in heaven detached from us, not knowing from firsthand experience what we live with. He lived, and he knew what it was to get hungry, and he knew what it was to um, guzzle down a quart of water when you're thirsty, and he knew what it was to be loved, how great it was to be loved. He knew the love of people, and then he also knew what it was to be rejected by people just like you and me. He knew all that. He knew what it's like to hurt. He was disappointed in his disciples. He got tired and slept during a storm. He knows our life. He had energy and vision and said, let's go conquer the world, man. You've done that. He was misunderstood. He was ignored. All that happens to you and me, and he understands you completely because he came into our world. He got into our world. Now, here's where this is going. Do you have any strained relationships? Think about a strained relationship in your life. Is there anybody in your life right now that you're avoiding? You're avoiding these people. Think about those people. So what are you going to do about it? How do you unstrain, you might say, the relationship? Folks, you get into their world. You get into their world. You live with them according to understanding. You've got to find out. Listen, we judge people, but do you ever get into their world and find out what drives them? Their loves their fears, their passions, their interests. I can tell you stories about people I had a difficult time with, and I had to say to myself, I got to get into their life and find out what drives those people, what they're about. And once you begin to do that, I'll tell you what, the whole relationship loosens up. And you pray for those people. You pray for those people. See, what you do is you seek to know them. You make a, a strong 
concentrated effort to understand those people. You get into their worlds. And when you do that, see if things don't change. Ephesians chapter 5. We've looked at this a lot. We've looked at this before. But I want to look at it from a new perspective here. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And as to the Lord is the big, big deal. That makes submission something godly and a lot easier. And the same thought continues in verse 25 where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And here's a great word, and gave himself up, gave himself up for her. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church, and his church is his bride. And there is a great principle here. And the principle is that we model marriage and the family after Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Let me say that again. The principle here is that we model marriage and the family after Christ and his bride, the church, and that principle works. It's in God's word. That principle works in marriage and family. The Bible calls the church, and the church is all who place their faith in Christ for salvation. The Bible calls his church his bride. We're all his bride. There's an intimate union there. We are the bride of Christ. That's John 19. That's, John, that's Revelation 19 and John 3. We are the bride of Christ. He loved his bride, Ephesians 5.25, and gave himself up or surrendered, or sacrificed himself for that bride. And that, again, I'll say it again, is the principle that drives a godly family. Let's take this back to the Old Testament, see. A lamb was the sacrifice for sin. If you wanted to have your sins forgiven in the Old Testament, you take a lamb, an unblemished lamb to a priest, and the blood of the lamb is shed. And when John, John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He pointed to Jesus Christ and said, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus would sacrifice himself for his bride. He would be that perfect lamb and die a substitutionary death for our sin. He dies, not us. He's our substitute on the cross. He took our place. It was totally sacrificial. And that's the principle that drives a family. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself or gave himself up for her. The Apostle Paul, who wrote that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is looking at this sacrificial love relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, as that driving principle that motivates a Christian family. Man, I hope that comes through to you. I look at God's word and I tell myself, man, this thing is truth. And this truth from a holy God tells me that the principle of loving sacrifice is what makes a marriage and a family successful. I got to say that again. The principle of loving sacrifice makes a marriage and a family successful. So then I have to ask myself, what moves me to live a sacrificial life and be like the son of God who literally surrendered himself? and gave himself up for his bride. What moves me to live a sacrifice? It's hard to sacrifice. It's hard to get, listen, it's not, not easy. See, it's not easy to give up what you want, see? So why do I do it? Why do you do it? And the first reason as I look at the word of God is it's his command. I mean, I look at this. Husbands, love your wife. That's a command in the Greek. I'll show off here. That's in the imperative voice. It's got that imperative ending on the word love. It's a command of Jesus. Jesus commands, husbands, love your wives as I love my church 
And as I gave myself up for my church and surrendered myself for that church, you love your wife in that way. It's a command. Do that. Sacrifice for the ones we love is the trademark of a believer. It's the command from the one we love who gave us real life. It's the command from the one who gave us life so and anything worthwhile in this life, anything that means anything, and that's why I do it. See, when it comes to a choice, my thing or her thing, my thing or his thing, you know, let this ring in your mind. You do their thing. Why? Because that's what the Lord of my life told me to do. He told me to sacrifice. And out of love, I want to obey him, see? See, he's not only my Savior who gave me eternal life. He is my Lord. He can't be your Savior without being your Lord, and you want to obey him. So here's another reason we sacrifice. I looked at Webster's Collegiate Dictionary for a definition of sacrifice. It says, the act of giving up something valuable to you or permitting self-injury, that's interesting, or foregoing something valued for the sake of somebody or something else that has a more pressing claim. One more time, the act of giving up something valuable to you or permitting self-injury, or foregoing something valued for the sake of something or somebody that has a more pressing claim. And what that means is this. When we sacrifice for people, we add value to people. When we sacrifice, we add value to people. We're saying to somebody, when you sacrifice something for somebody, you're saying to that somebody, you are worth this sacrifice to me. That's everything. You're worth. You're valuable to me. That's what you're saying. See, that makes them valuable to you. And when they know they're valuable to you, when that person knows he or she is valuable to you, so valuable, in fact, that you're willing to give up something that you wanted, you wanted to do, that you would give that up for them. Even accept self-injury like Christ did. Or forego something. I can do this later. He or she is more important right now. That's that more pressing claim, see? When we make that sacrifice... What they want instead of us, and you fill in the blanks here in your own life, you have just said to that person, you are important, and you are valuable. And you're not just important and valuable, you are important and valuable to me. You're important and valuable to me, and who in this place doesn't need that? Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School. 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.